Hosea chapter 1. Why don't we pray before we begin? Lord, what a, a picture of your grace this book is. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would just open up to a completely different time of history, Lord, in the Bible, different players, but yet still human beings, men and women and children being spoken to and flesh and blood have always been the same. We need you. We have the same needs. We have the same sin issues. We, we have the same anxieties, fears, Lord. And I know even as you spoke through Hosea, Lord, 750 years prior to Jesus coming, you are still using this book to speak to us today. That's why we're here, Lord. We need it. We need it. We want to close our day with you just speaking really directly into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Hosea... You know, we have been in Ezekiel and then Daniel. And before that, we were in Jeremiah. I mean, a good two years, year and a half to two years or something close to that. We have been in a period of history. Actually, Sean, can we just get the... uh, the chart of the kings up. We've been in a, for the last year and a half. So this is the beginning of the, uh, of the uh, monarchy in Israel with Saul and David, 1025 BC. And the kingdom was split up after Solomon. There was a civil war. Ten, uh, ten tribes in the north and two Judah and Benjamin in the south, so the, there were different kings uh, starting in 925 BC. And so if you, if you go down a little, Sean, the Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you can keep on going. To, oh, okay, up a little bit more, up the other way. Have Uzziah go up. All right, right there. So... Uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, um, all under these kings here. Daniel, of course, is after as well. All in the south, all in Judah, were the were their ministries exclusively to the south. Now we go back to Hosea. The Bible is not necessarily a chronological book, meaning it's nothing, they, we think very chronologically in the 21st century uh, when we're putting things together and this type of thing. Uh, not so uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit as he put, away, put, the, uh, put the Bible together. So Hosea, so now go down that way? No, other way. Uh, go, 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 go. Okay, right there. Okay, so, you know, you're going to have to go the other way. <laughs> Keep on going. 
Okay, right there. One more. One more. There. Yeah. So Hosea uh, is during this time period right here uh, is when he uh, prophesied. Now Isaiah prophesied in the south to Hezekiah and Manasseh and after. But uh, Hosea is during this time period. Ironically, his Hebrew name is identical to the last king of Israel. The translators spell it differently because they want to make sure that people don't get mixed up. Interesting thing, huh? I mean, they're those powerful dudes, those translators. You can just take the exact same Hebrew name and add an English letter to it. Wow. Uh, but in Hebrew, identical name. And uh, there's an irony there, may not, probably not an irony, that uh, Hosea really predicts the end of, uh, of the the reign here, up uh, the kingdom up here uh, in Israel. <clears throat> now, what's interesting to me, and some of you have heard me say this multiple times, Sean, God bless your brother, can you go up? There you go. We got it together. We're on, okay, like right there, right there. Now, so what's interesting to me is Jeroboam, I guess just a little bit more. Just a little bit, little bit, little bit. Right there. So here in 925, you know, because of the sin of Solomon, the nations were split up. The messianic line that led to Judah, rather to Jesus, was... Uh, on this side, it was the king, kings of Judah. This, these kings were uh, related to to Jesus. However, these here were not. Nevertheless, God sent, even though there was never a good king in Israel here as opposed to Judah. Judah, there were a number of really, really good kings. This guy here is a superstar. So is Asa. I'm studying about Jehoshaphat in my own Bible study. Just love the guy. He, he, he sent Levites throughout the whole land during his reign to teach the word of God. It's so encouraging reading his story in Second Chronicles. There was not a good king, not even one on this side. Jehu did, Jehu did some good, but overall he's called an evil king. And nevertheless, God still considered them his children, the children of Israel. Even though they went south completely, starting with their very first king, Jeroboam essentially made up his own religion. He took the first five books of the Bible and he just twisted them around, um, perverted them, made his own feast days, made his own priestly class, uh, his own uh, festivals, th this type of thing. And from then on, they were all the same way. They, 
he, he made, he didn't want anyone going to Jerusalem because if they, if they went to Jerusalem, which was required three times a year, every Jewish male 18 and above was required to go to Jerusalem to make sacrifice, to go to the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. He didn't want anyone doing that. He didn't want them obeying the Bible because he feared if they went to Jerusalem, they would their hearts would turn over to the kings in the south. And so what he did in Dan and Bethel in the north, he put up these calves made of gold, and, it, and he said, the, this is Jehovah here. This is the God who rescued you from Egypt. And come here to worship these calves, these golden calves, rather than Jerusalem. Not good stuff, especially if you read the first and second commandment. But what has always fascinated me and tells me so much about the, the love and grace of God. You know, people say the Old Testament. I don't, I don't worship the God of the Old Testament. I worship the God of the New Testament. Well, my experience has been that if a Christian is not well-versed in the Old Testament, they do not fully understand the love and grace of God among many, many other things, the fact that he sent his heavyweights, Elijah. He was a heavyweight. He was Muhammad Ali, man, of the prophets. He, he, he was the guy. In fact, at the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Moses representing the law and Elijah who met with Jesus. Elijah represented the, the prophets. Elijah prophesied exclusively to the north. So God is in, he's investing his, uh, the, you know, the most zealous prophets in the north who would never repent. <laughs> As a nation, that is. Individuals, no question, they, they probably led people to the Lord. But Elijah prophesied here. Elisha, well now why don't you go up or no down 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 yeah yeah Elisha who took over from from Elijah prophesied uh, all the way to Joash actually Joash was the one who showed up at Elisha's deathbed and he actually wept but Elisha was under these guys and uh, so Hosea shows up on the scene here under Jeroboam. Again, exclusively a ministry to the north, the northern part of Israel, the part of Israel that would never turn back to the Lord. They, would, they, they wouldn't do that, not as a nation. They refused, even though God over and over again sent his prophets to them. Verse 1 of Hosea chapter 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So even though he was a prophet to the north, it does list the, prof of the kings of the south, the kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, that is Jeroboam II, we just saw him, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When 
the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Oh, you know, nothing like, you know, work. God working his way up to the point here. <laughs> you know, it says, when he began to speak. First thing he said, go take a prostitute as a wife. Wow, thank you, God. You're going to tell me anything else uh, now? That's what happened here. It was the first thing that he had heard. Now, during the... Uh, so he prophesied, began prophesying. It is believed he also prophesied as well. Jeroboam the second. He also prophesied with the kings that followed him. There was a tremendous amount of economic prosperity during the time of Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the 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 second ruled for a pretty long time. It was uh, 30, actually no, about almost 40 years. And during that time, people materially were doing really, really well. But as we will see during that time, there, in terms of uh, moral decline, it was just awful. Moral and spiritual decline. And as in so many other periods of history, people become fooled by the economic prosperity around them. What are you telling me that I have been rebelling against the Lord? What are you talking about? Look at how much I'm being prospered. In addition to that, the economic prosperity had a way of being sort of false pillars of support in their lives. And, and so, in a very real sense, they didn't need the Lord. I don't know how many of you, uh, uh, and, and look, a lot of this speaks to us in our day. I don't know how many of you work in an environment in corporate America. I was there for 15 years. One of the hardest places to reach out to people is somewhere in, you know, in a Fortune 500 company because everyone's got so much money that they're sort of numb. There's, they're, they're, they have sort of a heart, false, shallow happiness and they're not o- open to hearing from the Lord. Very, very challenging to witness to someone in a time of prosperity doesn't mean that we shouldn't. You know, I made it a, a point during my time there to, 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 to witness to people after building relationships, but it was just brutally hard uh, because people were happy in their whatever state that they're in because of prosperity. It's one of the hardest times to uh, certainly to, to, to be places to be in ministry. That's what Hosea was in. During that 40 years of Jeroboam II, you know, they were uh, sowing 
but they would not really sowing with sin spiritually sowing evil but the nation really wouldn't reap what was sown until after Jeroboam died and it was amazing because after so so Hosea's prophesying 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 sort of similar to, to, to Jeremiah not quite so bad a situation, but um, prophesy, I'm prophesying people really were not returning, and, it, and the, the, the nation as a whole was doing okay. It wasn't after Jeroboam died that things began to fall apart, that the prophecies that Hosea had prophesied were fulfilled. And just to give you a little example how... F- quickly things started to spiral downward he gave Jeroboam gave the throne to his son Zechariah he was assassinated he was I think in power less than a year the uh, a new guy in a different sort of line dynasty or whatever by the name of Shalom uh, reigned for one month he was assassinated a different line of rulers came in, a guy by the name of Menahem uh, uh, was in. He was the only one really who ruled for any length of time on his own. He gave the throne to his son Pekahiah, who was overthrown in a coup by a guy named Pekah. Pekah was assassinated, uh, a guy by the name of Hosea, Hosea, who we already saw, he was the last king, he died in exile. And so, uh, I tell you, you know, you may sew for a while and look around you and think, hmm, this set of mine doesn't seem to be having the effect that all these Bible thumpers say it will have. It'll come eventually. As, as surely as the sky is blue and the sun rises in the morning, judgment will come because God is perfect in justice. And so uh, they had been, you know, why on earth would God tell anybody to go marry a prostitute? Why would he ever do that? Now, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to use, I don't know what word to use other than the word pathetic. It's a little pathetic reading some of the commentators, particularly the ones that lived a, a hundred years ago on this. They were convinced, and they will write, that there's no way God ever asked him really to go marry a prostitute. God would never do that's almost immoral. God would never ask anyone to do such a thing. I was sitting in a seminary class 20 years ago where the professor uh, said the very same thing. He said, we went through the book of Hosea and he's like, no way would God ever she, uh, Gomer, her name is Gomer, must have become a prostitute after well, that's not the case. First of all, that's not li- what it says. The literal interpretation is always the best one. But, but most of all, it is precisely the point that God wanted to make and precisely what Jesus did. 
when he chose you in your harlotry and me in mine. And God, while we were yet in our harlotry, in our adultery, meaning being sort of our lives married to idols, playing the adultery with idols, Jesus died for us. It's precisely the point that God wants to make. And yeah, it's a shame sometime when commentators that get so red faced at the the literal uh, wording of a book, they just can't help themselves. They have to translate around it. It's a, it's the whole point. They're missing the whole point. The point is God so loved the world that while it was in the midst of its harlotry, in the midst of its adultery, he sent his son and said, go die for them. Go join yourself to them. In the Bible, in the New Testament, marriage is a metaphor to what happens to anyone who anyone who gives their life to Christ, you become married to Jesus. Paul said, I give you to, give you to uh, one groomsman. I prepared you as a spotless bride for one groom, Jesus. That's what Paul said. And so a wonderful foreshadowing of, of Christ and his relationship with us. And it's just such a profound picture of the grace and the love of God. And can you imagine people say, I'm not going to read the Old Testament because it's just a God of hate. What? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? I mean, read this, read the book of Hosea next time you hear someone say this. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of har harlotry for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And so it, when we put anything in front of the Lord or in place of the Lord, it hurts God like unfaithfulness hurts the victim in an adulterous marriage. You and I will never be able to feel how much even a small sin, if there can be such a sin, hurts your Lord. You'll never be able to feel that because you're not God. However, this is a picture where we can begin, we can begin to, to understand as tragic as adultery is in any marriage, particularly a Christian marriage. It does one redeeming thing. It shows the, the victim of the adultery how profound the pain that God suffers when you and I commit adultery against him by putting something else, not just sexual sin, any sin, any sin, putting our job, putting sports, putting our whatever, Facebook, 
putting pleasure, putting drugs, putting vacations, putting ministry, putting family before the Lord. It hurts him as the, similar to the pain, or it's just really just a picture of the pain that a victim in an adulterous relationship experiences. Wow, that's heavy. And it is a good motivation to follow the Lord. So we don't hurt our Lord. So we're not hurting him. It's such a picture of grace. So he went, verse 3, and took Gomer. Probably not a good idea to name your daughter Gomer. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium. So this is not an allegory. This is not a fable. It's not a legend. Gomer was, at one point in her life, clung to the bosom of her mother. It's a real person. And she conceived and bore him, Hosea, a son. Then the Lord said to him, Hosea, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, uh, Jezreel has a couple of different, different meanings. It means scattered to sow, scattered. It's one of the things that would happen to Israel. They would soon be scattered into exile by the Assyrian army. The Assyrians, that's, that's the way they weakened an enemy. They would scatter them to different nations all around the world. Babylon brought everyone, Nebuchadnezzar brought everyone to Babylon. That's how they weakened. The, in, the Assyrians scatter people to different nations. It's interesting, China what they do to weaken a, a, a province that they have basically annexed or taken over is they pour in their the Han, the Han Chinese into that area. For example, they've done that in Tibet. They have, they have poured in the Chinese population into Tibet in order to weaken the resistance of the Tibetan people. They did the same thing in Inner Mongolia. Elise and I, my daughter Elise went there to Inner Mongolia about uh, six or seven years ago. It's not easy to find a Mongolian <laughs> in Inner Mongolia, even though it's called Inner Mongolia. It's because the Chinese have sent their, and it's, it's sent their people there and it's a calculated um, thing that they do in order to weaken a people. And uh, Hosea, 
uh, rather in the time of Hose, uh, rather in the time of Israel, when Israel was taken, that is the northern ten tribes, the Assyrians weakened them by scattering them. Jezreel, it's a name that was given to uh, his uh, to uh, his son and the name would be prophetic. It would be prophetic. Now the good news is it'll be prophetic in other ways as well. In fact, in good ways. But um, it was a prophetic name. That's how that's how uh, how names used to be. And it's a good thing for us too to be giving our children names to remind them of what the Lord wants to do in their life. It, it, in basketball the other day, the men's basketball, which lamentably lamentations we can write a book of lamentations about the fact that basketball is not going to be happening for the next four months it's too cold but anyway there was a little kid Christian and he was playing with us and you know we just made the point to him he he didn't go to the he didn't come to the church but we just made the point of him did you know your name's Christian and that's what God wants to do with your life he wants to make you a follower of Jesus Christ and it's a good it's a good idea to name our kids something uh, that will be really prophetic. You, you seek the Lord. Your, God will give you a name for your, for your children that he wants to do in the life uh, of that child. <laughs> so he names his kid uh, Jezreel. Now Jezreel also refers to the valley of Jezreel. And can we put up the map the map. So Jezreel, no, no, not the map. That's really good. You see, Sean and I, we're getting things together here. Here's the Jezreel Valley. So it's in the more northern part. It's a great, it's a great map here. I like it. All these Hazor, something happened with Deborah, right? And judges in Hazor, I think. And then Tiberius, Mount Tabor, Mount... Uh, Mount More, Megiddo, Mount Carmel. Any student of the Old Testament is going to be familiar with all this. But Jezreel Valley is right here. And it is in this valley where Jehu, Jehu was one, uh, he was like a general who later became king, but Ahab was such a wicked man. Ahab's the guy who was married to Jezebel. And Ahab t- literally turned the nation, the ten tribes of the north, from the worship of Jehovah to the worship of Baal, fa- false gods. Now, before, before Ahab, they had worshipped these calves, but supposedly they're worshipping Jehovah, which is like a crazy, twisted idea, but that's what was going on. At the time of Ahab, his wife influenced him, his, his wife's father, Jezebel's father, was a priest of Sidon. He was a priest uh, of, of, of Baal. He turned the nation to, uh, to the Baals, to false gods. And uh, Elijah came, came along. Was it Elijah or Elisha? I can't remember. But instructed Jehu to kill 
the you know the the immediate family of Ahab. So his line would be judged, just as uh, just as Elijah had judged that Ahab's line, his descendants, would be cut off. But Jehu, what he did, he went nutso. He he not only killed uh, just his immediate family, he killed like many, many, many people, anyone associated with him, whether he was in the family um, or not. In fact, he also killed some people from the the south, from Judah, who had been up visiting uh, Ahab, and it became just a bloodbath. God hates violence. He really, really does. And uh, it says here, It says, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, that would not have been good news to Jeroboam because Jeroboam was in the line of Jehu. So I'm sure that king didn't like hearing that. Uh, from Hosea, verse 5, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again. So Gomer conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. So Lo, meaning in Hebrew, no, no mercy for I will, her name is No Mercy. Can you imagine? Whenever someone calls you, hey, No Mercy, come here. Uh, But that was her name. But I will utterly take them away, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. And so, this is a prophecy of Hosea that the, this northern kingdom is going to be wiped out. They are going to be wiped out. Utterly take them away, it says in verse 6. In verse 7 he says, Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Meaning the house of Judah will continue. Notice how it says I will have mercy. Meaning, what is mercy? Mercy is withholding judgment when judgment is due. So it's not that things were that much better in the south in Judah. They did have good kings. It's true. But they were, the line was kept only because of God's promise to David and, and only because of the mercy of God. He withhold, withheld judgment. It says, I will save them by the, uh, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword nor, nor battle. M- many of you will recognize exactly what this is talking about. After the Assyrians had wiped out the northern ten tribes, they moved on Jerusalem, surrounded it, Hezekiah cried out to the Lord and Isaiah gave him the prophecy because you've cried out the Lord he's going to save you and 185,000 Assyrians who surrounded Jerusalem were put to death by the angel of the Lord so they were not saved by the bow meaning as in a bow and arrow they weren't saved by the sword or battle they were saved as it says in verse 7 by the Lord their God. And so,
Then it says in verse 8, Now when she had weaned lo rahuma, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So Lo-Ami means not my people. Now some commentators believe, and of course this is speculation, I would call it sanctified speculation, if there is such a thing, that the reason this boy is called not my people is because or is because it was not Hosea's boy. As we will see, Hosea goes, rather, Gomer goes back into prostitution. May have stayed with him for a while, but hadn't gotten over this sin issue. She goes back into uh, prostitution, and some believe that this was not Hosea's uh, son. And... But in any event, he's called, his name is not my people. Uh, and, and, and so this does not mean that, I mean, God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, that the nation of Israel would always be his people. What is really going on here is that they are not behaving like his people. They're not behaving like that. God doesn't play let's pretend. You pretend to be my people and I will pretend to be your God. No. They were not behaving like his people. They were misrepresenting the character of God. They were misrepresenting everything that, that God was. So this wasn't a sentence. He wasn't saying to them, I'm cutting you off. You'll not, no longer meet my people for all of history. No, we know for a fact that's not the case. But he's like, you're not my people. You're not behaving. You're not behaving like my child anymore. Then a startling 180, and this is what happens in the prophets. Yet, verse 10, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be sent to them, you are the sons of the living God. Verse 11, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And so, you know, this may be, have been nothing more at the time than an encouragement to Hosea. It's a hard, hard thing to do the will of God. God will ask you to do things, and I hope he doesn't ask you to marry a prostitute. <laughs> But he'll ask you to do other things that will be exceedingly hard. Please don't say, well, that can't be God's will because there's no way I could be happy doing the thing. Because, you know, God asks us to do things where it's not going to be real happy. It's not going to make us happy doing them. You know, when you're upset, 
about something that the Lord has asked you to do. You remember Hosea, where he was told by God, go marry this prostitute. That is what I want you to do. Why was he doing it? He was doing it for a much greater, greater purpose. And that was to teach the people about how deep the Father's love is for us, as Julian saying before the service. Eventually, though, God, God's given Hosea a promise, and he does this. He's always, when God asks you to do a really, really, really hard thing, he will always encourage you in it. And that's what he's doing to Hosea here. And to anyone who is willing to hear. He says, yes, you're going to be cut off. And yes, you're going to be wiped out. Yes, I'm going to bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Yes, that's true. But there will come a time when I will unite both the north and the south. Verse 11 says the children of Judah in the south and the children of Israel will unite once again. And guess when that happened? in 1948. Now, it is true that the Israelites went back into the region, but they really didn't control, to rebuild the temple. They didn't really, first of all, they were never a sovereign nation at the time when that happened, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But also, there were other peoples living sort of in the north where Israel had been. In 1948, it was the first time where there they were united as a nation. Just astonishing uh, prophecy here that was fulfilled in 1948. I know we just went through the book of Daniel, so we're prob- some of you may be <laughs> you know, tired of hearing the 1948 thing, but um, it's a truly um, amazing thing. May also be, uh, it, 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 I love how it says there that you will be, uh, you will where is it? And will appoint for themselves one head. Could be, that's in verse 11, could be a reference to Jesus there. Jesus is the head of the church. By the way, when we leave church, we cut ourselves off from the head. So never ever, please don't come up to me and say, I can do fine without the institutional church. Well, if, that, if you are away from the church, you're cut off from the head. But it could be a reference here to none other than Jesus Christ and a point for themselves ahead. There's a real, real sense that you choose to, <laughs> you choose Jesus. Although he did say, I didn't choose you, you choose me. I can't reconcile those two things. But um, there we uh, may have, and it it may have a reference to the Messiah, and it says, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Now, odd place to end the chapter because verse 1 really should be uh, part of chapter, verse 1 of chapter 2 really should be part of chapter 1. Who am I to say that? But I'll say it anyway. Say to your brethren, my people... And to your sisters, mercy is shown. So in other words, this whole thing about um, lo ruhama, no mercy, 
is going to be reversed and mercy will be shown. And lo, Ami, not my people, will be completely reversed. God has a way of redeeming things. And so, I don't know, I was just so used to reading Jeremiah for a while that there's practically never any good news in Jeremiah and Hosea gets right to it. Um, He gets right to the really promising message here in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. So she... Gomer went right back into prostitution while married to Hosea, just as Israel did the same thing. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness. You don't want God to make you a wilderness. That's not something you want God to do. But he'll do it. He'll make your life a wilderness. We saw in Malachi last Sunday morning, he was willing to actually inflict Israel with famine because they were not giving them, him, the first fruits of their increase. And why did he do that? Not to punish him, certainly not because he needed their increase, their money, It was because he loved them. And same thing here. I'll make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children for they are the children of harlotry. So the idea here is that Israel as a nation is is represented in Gomer, the prostitute. The children are... Uh, are children of harlotry, meaning they are practicing the same thing. In Deuteronomy, it says that God never punishes the sin of the child because of something that their parents did. Now, if the sin of the child continues the same thing, it's a different story. But he he will judge them. He will chasten them. But in this case... They're called children of harlotry because they went and did the same things that their mother did. I will not have mercy on her children for they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Why is it hard in many places to witness to someone about the danger of sin, about the danger of their lifestyle in corporate America or wherever America is because the idol that they have in their life is giving them bread, it's giving them water, it's giving them wool and linen and oil and, and their wine, among many, many other things. Like, thanks, but no thanks, but I'm going to continue going back to my lovers. Verse 5. Verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. Ah, 
one of the best verses in the Bible. Absolutely love it. Shows the mercy of the Lord. God loves us so much that he'll actually set a hedge of thorns around us and prevent us from being ever been headlong, decided, I'm sorry, I'm sick of it, I'm going to go do this sin. And on the way to it, your car breaks down. Has that, yeah, this happened to me before. So many examples where there's um, uh, examples of, of, of sickness. You know, I know of a, a, a person recently who was, you know, headlong into a life of sin and was struck ill. And they wound up being, you know, whatever, laid up in a, in a hospital bed and then after that a long recovery period and they couldn't do all the carousing that they were doing before their illness. God loves you enough to do this type of thing. He, you're, if, you, if your job is your idol, don't be surprised if you get fired. It's, it's like a wall of thorns preventing you from going to your idol. God loves you that much. The Old Testament is a God of hate. What are they talking about? God loves you so much. He says, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that, cannot, so that she cannot find her path. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them out, but will not find him. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. And so sometimes, yes, it takes being and locked up in a mental facility. I know someone who was locked up in a mental facility and it took that to want to go back to his wife. This is how good God is. He will do this in our lives so that we wake up. Sin has a way of numbing us and blinding us to the truth. God is good enough to set a hedge of thorns around us so we can't find the paths, verse 6, back to sin. Verse 8, for she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. So what he's saying is this, and this is what happens so often to Christians, to young believers, or someone with a heritage of the church, they will be prospering enormously. It's like, this is incredible, man. I'm just earning buco bucks or whatever, and I am loving this, and they just hand, handing their money over to nonsense, over to whatever. And... They're literally, they're, they're taking what is God's and they're just preparing it for Baal. I remember before I walked with the Lord, all of a sudden I started making lots of money. And I would go with my friend. We would just 
practically every night. We go to strip joints. And we just hand over our money to the bells. That's what we would do. Same thing. The money was given to me by God. It was a blessing from God. And it says in verse 8, For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. It, it, how much it must hurt the heart of God when he, with his blessing, is being used to give to foreign gods. Verse 9, Therefore I will return and take away my grind my grain in its time and my new wine in its season and will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause, cause all her mirth. It's sad that we're getting to the point where we don't understand words in the King James. Mirth means what? Pleasure. Like good pleasure, though, like mirth, or not necessarily, rather, not necessarily good pleasure, not necessarily bad pleasure, but just mirth, laughter, you know, the type of thing that happens at a feast. I will cause her, all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. And I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. It says she decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot. Now you go study whatever, pagan false god religions, and, and you're not going to find a picture of a god who goes so far to say something like this. Is this one of the saddest things you read in the Bible? She forgot me. And, and, and God says the same thing to a believer who goes into a backslide or, or someone that he's drawing to salvation, but they, they check out and they go to whatever. She forgot me. This is not what a pagan God says. This is what the God of the Bible says, that actually heaven, so deep, so profound is his love. But me, she forgot. Wow. The God who created all the stars, the billion stars out there, the universe, the mountains, the ocean, cares enough about you that if you walk away from him, it's like, wow, she forgot me. Wow, he forgot me. Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her. You know, one thing about God is that He's much better at the devil's game than the devil. The devil's really good at alluring us into sin. But God can allure so much better. So much better. What a picture of grace. In spite of the fact that she decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. 
and forgot about God, God says, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. If you or if someone you know their life has been made a wilderness and they can't imagine God ever wanting them back or they can't imagine darkening the doors of a church where all these holy people walk around with halos over their head show them this verse I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Show, show her this chapter. What a chapter. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt, And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. So again, when you are witnessing to someone about the Lord who doesn't know the Lord, it is important that you don't minimize what giving your heart to the Lord really means. It's completely legitimate to tell someone, look, just before you say this prayer, and this sinner's prayer, sinner's prayer is sort of out of fashion nowadays. I, I think unfairly so. I think it's been overdone, the criticism of the sinner's prayer, but you know, there, we can explain to people what they're doing before teaching about the sinner's prayer. And one of the ways to explain it is just so you know, the Bible says Jesus is actually becoming your spouse. You're getting married to him. They'll understand that. They say the sinner's prayer after that and they really understand it and mean it. There's a real salvation taking place. This is a prophetic word from the Lord and, and it really is you know we're not under the law we're not in a relationship based upon the law we're, we're in a relationship of, of grace rather <clears throat> I'll rephrase there we, we don't have uh, there's the, the God of the Bible is religion is when the relationship between God and man is based upon law, man-made or otherwise. But But salvation, salvation, the salvation that is referred to here and towards the end of the chapter here is based upon not the law but a love relationship with the Lord. Now, Jesus says in John 15, 13, he says, greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you 
friends. He called out to them. You know, he called out to, in John chapter 21, after being resurrected from the dead, he's on the seashore. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answer. He called them friends. And of course, it's very important that we continue to walk with Jesus as our Lord, but there we're we're being called into a relationship of intimacy. You will no longer be called my master. You will call me my husband. Verse seven: For I will take from her mouths the names of the Baals. Isn't that amazing? That even repentance. Now again, I don't understand all this. This is a mystery. But even repentance is given to us by the Lord. It says, the Lord will take from her mouth the names of the Baals. And they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lay down, lie down safely. Now this is, appears to be a reference to the millennial kingdom which will be established when Jesus returns. If you weren't here this morning, that's what the message was this morning. Verse 19 it just gets better and better in this chapter. What a picture. You know, some of us guys, we're such guys. We, this makes us, we can barely even read this stuff. It's so gooey and gushy. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That word know is speaking of experiential know. Really knowing who he is through experience. Just not knowing facts about him. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. They, the earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who has not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. And so Jezreel becomes, why don't you put up Jezreel? So this is what Jezreel becomes here. It becomes this, just a place of bounty, of blessing. That's a picture of the valley of Jezreel today in Israel. And so what a picture. What a picture of the profound love and commitment that God has for us, for his people. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He actually... What started off as, look, Lo Ami, you're not my people. Lo Rumaha, I'm not going to show you any mercy. Is turned to mercy and, and, and turned to being my people. And you're no longer going to call me my master. You'll call me my husband. Wow. What a picture of the love of God.